Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it, but you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, and we'd love for you to come and visit us. There you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. And if you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, all of that will be at your fingertips. It's a comprehensive tarot education for less than the price of, I don't know even what. My point is, it's a steal. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Angela, who won last week's prize. Congratulations, Angela. This week, we're moving on to the Queen of Wands. We were trying to think of some super fabulous esoteric prize, but then I remembered about Snuffles. Do you know about Snuffles? Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. You've probably seen them and never even noticed. You may have even held Snuffles in your own two hands many times without even realizing it. Snuffles is the black cat on the Rider-Waite-Smith Queen of Wands. We'll be talking more about Snuffles in the episode you're just about to hear. Anyway, it just so happens I have this really cool black cat fabric in my fabric drawer. So, whoever wins this week's drawing is going to win the one and only Snuffles Zip Pouch. In it, you can place your cards, your runes, your cosmetics, your cat treats, whatever it is you want to place under the guardianship of a black cat elegantly pacing in silhouette through a garden full of shadows. Snuffles, wherever you are, here's looking at you. You can find out more and sign up for the drawing at our site, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. have arrived at the Queen of Wands, the Queen of the Thrones of Flame, the Queen of the Salamanders. Sounds like an insult, but it isn't. <laughs> she is our, our fiery queen, water of water fire. fire. And that's really one of the most interesting combinations, the watery part of fire. What does that mean? It makes me think of fire's reflection. Or the reflective part of fire. The way heat is absorbed and reflected when it's not coming directly from a flame, whether it's from thermal mass, you know, or whether it's from a heat shield. Maybe it's it's useful to think about the spiritual properties of the elements. I mean, water is a connective property uh, and a contagious property. Maybe it's the way that fire can go from thing to thing and connect from thing to thing. And well, fire is the active 
principal waters, the receptive or reflective. It's like the outer and the inner, the meditation on that creative force rather than the active expression of it. Right. Or the way that like if you're in a room and there's a mood, um, there's an excited mood and people catch it from each other. They receive it from each other. Yeah. It's like the knight is the energy and the queen is receptive to that energy and and storing it and holding it in a reservoir and reflecting it back. Right. In the last episode, we talked about the queen being the engine to the fuel of the king or knight. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, form to the force. Right. So if you're just coming to the court cards with us for the first time, be sure to listen to the episode preceding this one on the Niter King of Wands and on court structure. So because uh, we're not going to do a full review of how that works, but you will be able to refer to our previous posts and our previous episode on how the correspondences, elemental and zodiacal work for the court cards. So although she is associated with Aries, she is associated with three decans, and only two of them are Aries. The previous decan is the final decan of Pisces. Right. So just to restate that, she has the first two decans of the sign of Aries, but she picks up the last decan of the preceding sign. Right. So you can see that transformation from water to fire right there. March 11th to April 10th, I have something like yep, that. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. So the real, um, the turn of the year into the new year, it includes I guess the, if you think of the new year as starting in spring. If you think of it as starting in spring. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's what I'm thinking. And it includes the vernal equinox, right? Yep. So, uh, so yeah, it's the start of something, something new and fresh, um, the beginning of spring. And again, we have the problem with the southern northern hemisphere. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, but I But think, either way, it's a mm-hmm. hinge point of the year. It is no a matter hinge point. W- which hemisphere you're in, mm-hmm. it's that winter, spring, spring, winter, hinge point of the year, which is kind of like a fire and water thing, water and fire in itself. You know, I, winter feels a lot more watery than mm-hmm. spring feels a lot more fiery, at least, or vice versa, depending vice on versa. Uh, right. which hemisphere you're in. Right. And even if you are in a Southern hemisphere area where, you know, um, it, the coming of winter of cooler weather can be really invigorating and a relief, you know? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so Aries, it can be, you know, Aries can represent that upsurge of energy in that way as well in in the southern hemisphere it's really interesting this section of the zodiac that she rules because she's got the last decan of pisces which is the last decan of the entire zodiac the end and then she's got the first decan of aries the very beginning and that's that infamous double mars point because both of those decans are ruled by mars so she's a very uh martial figure. Yes, she has some of those. She's got that zero degree Aries point, you know, that the last degree of Pisces and the first degree of the whole entire Zodiac, Mm -hmm. both ruled by Mars. And that is, uh, in some ways, I think why she has, she's considered the most extroverted, outgoing uh, queen, the most, in some ways, the most uh, warrior-like or the most um, 
masculine. Yeah, she's, for, for a female character, she's got a lot of masculine qualities. Her other Deccan, the, the middle Deccan of Ares, is ruled by the sun. So Mara's Mara's sun. She's, you know, right. very full of martial energy, masculine energy, even though she's also very feminine. Right. It reminds me of the fact that while, you know, women's biology is very different from men's, women's sex drive is partly determined by testosterone. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so yeah, so she, she covers the Aries point. And I actually really, uh, like this about this system, uh, with queens because there's a temptation before you get into the esoterics to think of queens as kind of passive and just sitting there which drives me nuts but they're cardinal energies right all well, of them that's the interesting thing and that's something we talked about in the knight of wands the previous episode when we did the preview of the whole court system that queens are passive they're they're fixed in nature or um tamasic or salty in nature being uh form or receptivity but they're also cardinal so each of the court cards has their nature and then it has the modalities of their signs so she's fixed in nature but her decans are the cardinal primarily the two cardinal decans and one mutable decan right so she, every court card has this mix in in that way mm-hmm. and i think there is a tradition historically that she the throne of the queen was very important that she was considered the 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 stable home of the suit whereas you know the king might go forth and rule or the prince might be on the move in his own way she was the stable home fire yeah and that's mm -hmm. why all the queens are shown in at least in the actually in all three decks um they're shown on thrones now, it doesn't really apply to Rider Waite with the kings being mm -hmm. throned, but in general, the, um, the knights on horses being very active and the queens on thrones being very stable. And if you mm -hmm. look in the book T description anyway, the kings or knights are always on horses, always active, that energy moving out where the queens are always seated stably on a throne. I mean, I think she's the only one that specifically gets the throne uh the others are either on the move on you know on a on a chariot or well, on an animal yeah, well, <laughs> or which on a is, horse which or is standing. why the um the princes are always in chariots mm -hmm. in that system because they're a mixture of the knight and the queen right so a chariot is like a moving throne mm -hmm. pulled by an animal so we have the knights on horseback we have the queens on thrones and then we have the prince who's the issue of the knight and the queen being mm -hmm. on this uh portable throne if you will <laughs> the porta potty <laughs> <laughs> because he has the the best of both of their natures he's got the active part of his father's nature and the enduring and stable part of his mother's nature. Yeah, he brings the kingdom to the people in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so end of Pisces, beginning of Aries, uh, which corresponds in the minors to the Ten of Cups, the Two of Wands, and the Three of Wands, otherwise known as satiety or perfected success, dominion, and virtue or established strength. And 
again, we see that, um, you know, that, that combination of fire and water in the Ten of Cups card, uh, you know, with the rainbow and the momentary reconciliation between those two, and then going straight into uh, the Mars and Aries uh, of the Two of Wands, that fiery, fiery beginning of the new year. So we go Mars governing last decan of Pisces, Mars governing first decan of Aries, and then Sun governing, in its exaltation, uh, governing the second decan of Aries. All kinds of strength in this card for the Queen of Wands. I, I, I think with the corresponding majors, there's something so evocative about um, the moon and the emperor. We have this quintessentially feminine and quintessentially masculine energies combining. Yeah, much like her. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she's very much a, a Shakti feminine figure, and yet she's got all those martial qualities of Aries. Yeah, yeah. I think she's... I sometimes think of her as a mundane, earthly Babylon. You know? Yeah, yeah, she's the Scarlet Woman for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked. We were talking about her as Water of Fire, but that also corresponds to second letter of the divine name. Yes, Hey Primal. So in the sequence, uh, Will, Love, Reason, Action, she would correspond to Love or Hey Primal, mm-hmm. the and mother. to Dare. Yes, mm-hmm. to dare. Mm-hmm. That's so that's referring to the four powers of the Sphinx: to will, to dare, to know, and to keep silent. And this is just an aside, which you won't like. But for some of us, the emperor also is associated with hay. So, in a sense, you can think of that hay uh, window quality as doubly present in the Queen of Wands, since the emperor is the other major associated with her. Won't work if you think of the emperor as Tzadi. Okay, so she's also on the tree of life, the idea of Bina in Atsilut. So uh, we talked about her as the engine that's running on the fuel of Chokmah. So Bina is the concept of understanding, which is what happens when you receive an idea and give it form. I've also heard Bina described as a palace of mirrors, reflecting the pure light of Hakma and like increasing and multiplying it, which seems especially apt for this card. So Bina is the third Sephira on the pillar of form in the world of archetypes or Atsilut. I like to think of her as, you know, she's a continuation from the Knight of Wands. So if he's the impulse, she's the reflection on that impulse. Or if he's the will, she's how the emotions modify and influence will. Mm-hmm. And just a reminder to our Rider Waite Smith listeners and new listeners that Knight of Wands, we are often referring to what you might think of as the King of Wands. So what Mel's saying is that she's a continuation of that king. Yeah, when I say knight, I always mean king because I'm more uh, versed in the Thoth tradition. Right. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so she's a continuation and unfolding of that will. When we talk about Aries, the sign, the uh, motto for the sign is I am. Mm-hmm. And the motto for the Pisces sign is? I believe, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So we go from I believe to I am. You know, and going back to that Pisces to Aries transition from the moon to the emperor, and again, that quality, watery quality of fire, there's a resilience and changeability 
to the Queen of Wands, I think. Um, the idea that, you know, she has both a decisive quality as represented by the Emperor and a reactive quality as represented by the Moon. You know, she has an ability to take in a situation and transform it from that moment of uh, the Ten of Cups, where it's this sort of momentary, uh, the rainbow flash of of how things could be, and then start to build it into reality in the Two and Three of Wands. Yeah, to me, her nature is far more on the side of Aries, mm-hmm. and the Decan of Pisces satiety kind of shows a hidden part of her nature. She's all about dominion and control and power, but yet sometimes she secretly longs to give up that control and dissolve in that um, perfected success of satiety, which is sort of an intoxicating thing. Yeah, there's a... There's um, a bit of delusion and intoxication and a longing to just, like, let go. Mm-hmm, to uh, that that sort of narcotic dissolution yeah to uh, let right. go of control for a change right yeah it reminds me of the fact that some of you know the most executive controlling figures also have this side um i'm trying not to go there but i really want to the, the, the secret <laughs> the S&M se- thing. secret longing to submit <laughs> that's right okay so we'll just say that you know that there often is a secret longing to submit among those who are outwardly dominant. Yes, who have to be in charge of everything all the time. Uh, the executives of the world and the masters of the world often have a need to uh, no longer dominate in their private lives. And that's something that we see in the Queen of Wands. Interestingly enough, I did some research into the historical connections of the Queen of Wands. And there's in playing card history, you can either associate her with the queen of clubs, you know, a wand being a club, or the queen of diamonds. And in fact, there's a long and storied tradition of the diamonds being associated with wands. And the theory behind that is that if you imagine on a Marseille deck, the way the wands intersect, the spaces in between are diamonds. And uh, so therefore, if you read Eteya or some of the other continental occultists, you'll find that she is called the uh, Reine de Baton or the Reine de Caro, which means the Queen of Wands or the Queen of Diamonds. And she's also associated with the um, historical figure of Penthesilea, who was the Amazon queen, which makes a lot of sense, daughter of Ares. So we have that connection with the emperor um, Ares and the god Mars Ares. Uh, you know, and her warlike qualities. She's associated with the biblical matriarch, Rachel, the wife of Jacob, whom, uh, whom he had to work for for 14 years to win her hand. What was said by Atea was that she was um, a good woman, uh, virtuous, which is interesting because we have the three of wands virtue. Wands in the Marseille tradition are a peasant's tool. They're considered of the country. So she's economical, virtuous. Uh, she announces abundant harvests, or she <laughs> sort of speaks about his perspective. She predicts that you will amuse yourself greatly at the next country party that you make <laughs> with lots of people. <laughs> um, 
when she's reversed, he said, she, uh, trying to struggle through this translation, um, she predicts the good that you would like to do without having the possibility or capability of doing it. So, you know, there's that sort of Ten of Cups desire that sort of founders in on itself. Um, the other thing that's kind of weird about this is that all the occultists had a very uneasy relationship with her sexuality. Um, because, you know, you have occultists who say she's a harlot. There's those who say scarlet she's promis- the scarlet woman. She's promiscuous. Even Wade and Pamela Coleman Smith have her sitting on that throne with her knees way apart. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, Atea said this, that she's, you know, not at all flirtatious, not at all gabby, not, uh, she's virtuous. She's not lazy. So, you know, the people really struggle with what her um, strong expression of her femininity really means. She definitely has an association with the sexual instinct. For sure. For sure. She's a cougar. <laughs> you know, a leopard, actually. A leopard, actually. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to start going through the imagery? Yeah. Let's, let's do that and let's see what comes from with, that. Let's start with Snuffles the cat. <laughs> Since we're talking about animals, um, everyone knows in the Rider Waite Smith tradition, there's a black cat on the Queen of Wands. And, uh, this black cat was, there's several photographs of her at Small Hythe Cottage, which was a place where Pamela Coleman Smith spent a lot of time. And this cat belonged to Edie Craig, who was the daughter of Ellen Terry, uh, Pamela Coleman Smith's very good friend. This cat really is something that caught the imagination. Scruffy. It is a bit scruffy and a little bit um, sinister looking, but it really caught the imagination of tarot artists after the Rider-Waite-Smith deck came out. And you can see this black cat in many, many queens of wands uh, throughout tarot history after 1910. So she's kind of a familiar, I would say. Again, a symbol of that feminine power. And also, there's a connection with the lions that we see in all of the wands courts um, in all of Rider Waite. And I, I, as I was saying in the King or Knight of Wands episode, I'd see those lions as being intrinsic to all wands courts because they are, they're family. So even if we don't specifically associate the knight or king and the queen of wands with Leo, we tend to associate that specifically with the prince or knight of wands. In actual practice, you might well see a Leo person, a Leo woman in this card. Yeah, definitely with the sunflowers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very solar. Yes. And, um, it's could also that sunflower could be a reference to the idea that the sun is exalted in Aries, as we see in the three of wands card, which is associated with this as well. And you could see from her posture and her expression that this is not a shy queen. (laughs) Definitely not. She's, uh, ready to face the world. And in fact, I'm just thinking about the other queens for a moment. All of the other queens are in Rider Waite Smith are sort of sitting to the side, you know, their knees are pointing one way, and she's the only one who faces full forward like this. So there's a frankness mm-hmm. um, and a boldness about her that I think we kind of associate with Aries. Yeah, definitely. Does she have salamanders too? I don't see any salamanders. She don't get no salamanders? Nope. <laughs> Although if you look at the, she's got a little tiny cat, what looks like maybe a cat or a 
some type of oh, on uh, her, maybe leopard head on the clasp on her on the cloak clasp. there. You have yeah. to look really closely. Yes, that's right. That's she does. feline head. Mm-hmm. And we have the same dry landscape in the background, although the those look like mountains instead of pyramids this time. And I think, you know, we see also the red slipper poking out uh, underneath her yellow robes and red is generally in Rider-Waite-Smith and elsewhere a indication of carnality and passion. So she's just barely contained. Oh, and didn't we talk about sunflowers at one time as, you know, just the idea that they, that they turn towards the sun. So there's, you know, to me, there's a, there's, yeah, there's a, a receptivity yeah. to that fire energy that's coming from the night. Right. What Waite said about this queen was that her, Waite said that her personality corresponds to that of the king, but is more magnetic. Mm. I could see that she's very charismatic and magnetic. Um. Yeah. Maybe it's the polarity of the water and fire that makes her electric yeah. in that way. The um, reflection of fire. I can see that being really mesmerizing and being an attractive thing. Right. Um, he said also, love of money or a certain success in business, opposition, jealousy, even deceit and infidelity. Again, I think that's that sort of Victorian discomfort with sexuality to some extent. But also the fact that stuff happens around this queen. Things, you know, things just get moving. Okay. So the leopard queen, you want to talk about the leopard son? Because I don't really know why he made that choice. And I know that it's uh, well, one that you've um, thought about. It's described as part of her card. Um, when we, I guess we could read it now. The, mm -hmm. um, the description in book T mentions it. So a crowned queen with long red golden hair seated upon a throne with steady flames beneath. She wears a corslet and buskins of scale mail, which latter her robe discloses. Her arms are almost bare. On cuirass and buskins are winged leopards' heads. The same symbol surmounts her crown. At her side is a couchant leopard on which her hands rest. She bears a long wand with a very heavy conical head. Her face is beautiful and resolute. I like that. Beautiful and resolute. Again, a little bit echoes of the emperor there. Yes, most definitely. So the leopard, you know, it's, it's said to represent the animal soul or the primal instinct and her hand resting on the head of the the leopard represents her control of that her control of those passions and and primal instincts um and also the i've read that the the leopard having the dark spots upon the light golden coat is the transformative process of of bringing what's in darkness to the light and That's you'll really see interesting. in in at least in the Thoth deck and in my deck, she's got her lids lowered because she's looking within and viewing this transformative process happening. So there's a, a lunar introspection. Uh, as well as bringing it into the light. Yeah, I think yeah. that's part of the the water of fire thing, you know, the, yeah. the the reflectiveness literally of water and figuratively of water that um she's uh looking at her will and reflecting on it. Mhm. Mm uh you also see in the Thoth card there is very tiny, hard to see, but it's uh, the winged leopard's head is above her her crown. I see it. And she's got the conical wand. 
Yes. Is that the Thyrsus? Yes, it is. So that's the Wand of Bacchus, yes, isn't it? Yes, the Rites of Bacchus. Yeah, um, I love that. That's sort of a indication of the sort of ecstatic yeah, letting go. It's, a, it's another, yes, it's, a, it's another expression of that primal, the primal urges <laughs> being mm-hmm. satisfied. Right, the woman satisfied. Yes. And then the other thing you might notice on her cloak in the Thoth card, it looks like the Glyph of Pisces kind of just showing the connection so there, right. the end of uh, the end of the Zodiac to the beginning of the Zodiac. I thought that Zodiac. was a cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's a Pisces okay. glyph. I could be yeah. wrong. But... No, it certainly looks like one. Neat. Yeah, so again, you know, that, that end last point of the Zodiac and beginning point of the Zodiac um, being shown there. And the other thing you'll see in that card are the very, very straight flames. Yes, um, so, steady ones. Yes, described as steady flames. So in the night, we had the wavy flames, which show his more the volatility of his nature, where where she's more of a uh, calming influence, and her flames are steady. There's They're not being blown around. Yeah, if you think about fire reflecting in a pool, the pool has to be still for the fire to reflect yeah, in it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's really neat. And I really love the the just the the perspective of in the thoth card how you're it's almost like you're you're looking up you know at her right you're at her feet yeah exactly <laughs> she's definitely you know in a position of dominion over everyone else's under her basically yeah looking up at this really majestic um Almost like looking up at the Statue of Liberty with mm-hmm. that with that crown. Mm-hmm. How many rays? It looks like twelve. Twelve rays yep. going out from yep. her. Twelve. Twelve yep. rays. So it, that that's a reference another, to, to the, the zodiac year. So yeah, right. she's the end and the beginning of the uh, zodiacal year there. Yeah, it's interesting if you think about the positions of the queens in the Thoth deck. Generally, they all have something very distinct to say. You know, especially I often think with the queen of discs, you know, who's not even looking at you. (laughs) But in fact, that's kind of an interesting contrast between the queen of wands who is looking at you full face. You know, you cannot avoid her gaze as opposed to the queen of discs on the other end of the wands, cups, swords, discs. Although her lids are lowered. She's more looking within than looking at you. Well, you're looking at her. Yeah. (laughs) Full in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I sort of see, if you look at the leopard she has her hands on, it's, it's looking at you. It's almost like her, her unconscious perceives you in a sort of shamanic, totemic way, even though her eyes are closed. Yeah. You know, she, you're right there. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It's her spirit is in there looking at you. I can see that. Mm hmm. Ooh, gives me shivers. <laughs> Let's see. Anything about the direction of the wand path type stuff? Oh, you can mention it if you want. Okay. Okay. So um, because it's Thoth and because none of these things are likely to be entirely by accident, uh, we should say that the diagonal um, direction of the wand she's holding reflects what we might see in her course, the paths of her corresponding majors. So if you look on the tree of life, and you look at the path of the moon, and you look at the path of the emperor, you will see that uh, direction from upper right to towards lower left. And that's true whether you see the emperor at the top of the tree between um, Chokmah and Tiferet, or whether you see him at the bottom of the tree between Netzach 
and Yasod. So just something to think about. Yeah. So an- another thing that Crowley described the Queen of Wands as being kindly and generous, but impatient of opposition, proud like all the other uh, members of her family. But he also said that it lacks the spontaneous nobility, which excuses that error. It's not true pride, but self-complacent vanity and even snobbery. And she may be quick to take offense. She might Vengeful. Yes, vengeful. You don't want to get on her bad side. She might turn and snap at her best friends uh, without intelligible excuse. And then I think we both really like this quote he says about her kind of as uh, as in her leopard form. When she misses her bite, she breaks her jaw. <laughs> that, I love that. Yeah, the idea that she's so determined, so fierce. But when she's wrong, she's really going to get hurt and hurt somebody else. All right. And shall we look at your queen? Sure. So um, again, what I tried to do is also follow that description that we read from book T. So she is seated on a throne and with the steady flames and with the court crest of the leopard, the winged leopard head actually is the crest and she has the, the leopard in her card. So if you look at that court crest, you'll see that the leopard also has in its mouth a poppy pod, and that's coming from the Ten of Cups satiety, um, my deck. It's a little emblem selected from that card to represent, you know, that part of her that longs to relinquish control and dissolve in that kind of way that the poppy represents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but it also has the crossed hook and flail of the, um, two of wands dominion showing her absolute authority and power. And it's got from the three of wands that, uh, conical thrysis wand or pine cone topped wand from, uh, the card of virtue. Well, yeah, I basically tried to follow the, um, description of her armor and, you know, her arms almost bare. Yeah, I always wanted to ask you, you made her a redhead. So you want to talk about that? Well, that's that's part of that's part Mm -hmm. of the description. Actually, Mm -hmm. it says that she's with long red golden hair. Mm -hmm. We see that in the Thoth card. Yeah, we see it in all three cards. Actually, actually, you are right. They're all they're all reddish Mm -hmm. golden hair. So they all follow that book T description. Mm -hmm. They all Especially the Thoth card, and in my card, I tried to make the face beautiful and resolute. You know, it's that quality of of power and stillness. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the star group um, for this part of the zodiac. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Her star group is said to range from the other fish and part of the band of Pisces. The head and back of Aries, the body and legs of Andromeda, the triangle, the hand and left arm of Cassiopeia, and the winged instep of Ares. So it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Think of Andromeda, the uh, the mythology of, you know, she was the daughter of uh, Cassiopeia, and uh, the mother was very boastful of her beauty and angered. Never a good angered, idea. <laughs> angered the gods, and she was chained to a rock in the in the ocean to be devoured by a, a monster, mm-hmm. and then rescued, and then rescued by, by Perseus. Perseus. So right. that, that speaks a little bit about her, you know, her her oh, her mother's 
boastful vanity Mm -hmm. and then her own like relinquishing of control in Mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. We should maybe talk about the um, I Ching and the geomancy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I Ching wise, this is associated with the hexagram 17. um, And it is uh, composed of the thunder trigram and the swamp or lake trigram because ah, water and fire, water and yes. fire, right? And water uh, of fire, yeah. And that's that's interesting to me because, in particular, because the Chinese correspondence for the swamp trigram is part of my name, my Chinese name. Anyway, so it's thunder in the lake, uh, and the, the 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 hexagram itself is called sway, which means following, and that kind of following is. Interesting. Following without resistance, it's supposed to be. Following good influences without resistance and gathering in of the harvest. So there's sort of, to me, that, that, that has something to do with the virtue side of the queen, where if you follow the plan, <laughs> you can collect on it, you can cash in on it, you can, um, as long as you do what you set out to do, uh, you will collect and everything will be well. There's also an image, and I, I don't really know that much about the I Ching, but I know that this phrase that uh, the noble one towards nightfall goes inside to eat and relax. So there's this this idea that in the right time, after the day is done, you let go. So there's a right time for everything. And there's, that's something very fundamental. I get the feeling about this, this hexagram. And something you said, you know, about the card and, and virtue. One thing I've read about that, uh, I Ching hexagram is that one meaning is to rule, one must serve. Nice. And that kind of brings in that idea of virtue and the ruling power in a beneficial way. Another thing on that I've read is, reflection upon impulse. And so if we think of the Knight of Wands as the impulse and the Queen of Wands as the reflection upon that initial impulse. Yes, yes it's a follow through. Mm-hmm. And you called it the following. I've also seen it named as the quest. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very Aries-like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the geomantic figure? Puer. Boy in Latin. Yeah. The, uh, Which is funny. The symbol, if you look at it, it kind of looks like an erect um, <laughs> organ, which you'd think is funny for this very feminine queen, but with, you know, Mars, Mars, uh, Mars, Mars, two erect organs right there and That's the sun. Right. So she's got these very um, masculine qualities. So Aries, Mars, the boy, there's that quality. And that that figure is said to be generally bad except for war and love. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That again, that impulse of the dual nature of testosterone that brings in the the qualities of the emperor as well. Okay. So um practically speaking, when you see her, what happens? Yeah, I think when I see her, I think of this creative process that's in a steady reflective phase. It's creative work, but it's kind of stable and you're looking within for your inspiration rather than rushing out to do. I'll also look at the associated minor cards. So there's that strength of dominion and wielded wisely in virtue, um, as well as the 
Ten of Cups satiety, that sort of, um, you could call it perfected success, but also the illusion that's inherent in that anything can be perfect. Yeah, and that's interesting because I think that in a way, this queen is so powerful, but also the most insecure queen, <laughs> you know, in a way, there's sort of like, you know, that that incredible capacity to perform, but also a desire to be recognized. And I think that's a shadow side of her. Um, and something I've certainly experienced on bad days when I've gotten this card, the idea that, uh, you know, I just, I just really want someone to notice. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, court cards in general, for me, don't add up astrologically with my personal um, astrology, I'd expect to be uh, primarily have an allegiance with the king or knight of discs, um, since that's my sun sign, but I don't really. I used to think of myself as a queen of swords. I later thought of myself as a queen of discs. But as it turns out, this is the card I get the most often. Uh, I, I simply never would have chosen it for myself. At the same time, there there is a drive with this queen that I really relate to in terms of what has been happening to me in the last few years. Uh, there's a creative drive. There's a kind of ambition, a desire to be out there in the world saying shit, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it, and sharing that that is very much like her and which I never expected to encounter in myself. So uh, like it or not, she's a big part of my life um, and my most frequently drawn court card. I've also seen her in practical terms. I, I get her a lot when I'm making things, you know, making things and dreaming things up and following through with them, which, yeah, yeah. that's, I, I get that too. Like it's, it's like controlled fire. Yeah. You know, it's channeled will or controlled will or harnessed will rather than the pure, you know, just bursting out will of the night. It's, it's mm -hmm. taking that and containing that somehow. And it's also a transformative process, both inner and outer transformations that can happen. Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. I've had it both in public and in private scenarios where, you know, I'm in a meeting or I'm dealing with lots of different people and I get her for that sort of energy of connection and working with your own public persona. I got her when I was doing a pie making marathon for Thanksgiving. <laughs> she can be kind of a cook. But also, I've gotten her a lot for cyclical migraines. Well, Aries does rule the head. Her rules the head and also, you know, the moon is associated with this. So yeah. once a month, you get that he yeah. headache because that's just the way the hormones roll. And definitely a sense of impatience <laughs> of all yeah, the queens. That's the one with the least, you know. All fire signs can be impatient, but especially Aries, I think. Yeah. You know, it's the... the the infant of the Zodiac that wants what they want when they want it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's me in a meeting, you know, uh, just it's like willingness to engage with lots of people, but the opposite of that Libra diplomacy. I just want to get it done. I just want to like get to the end point of the meeting and not just hear every single last viewpoint out. <laughs> All right. So the themes that we've talked about in the Queen of Wands have been manifold as usual. Uh, we talked about water of fire, uh, the cardinal energy of Aries and the mutable energy of Pisces and the tamasic energy of salt. So a little bit of cardinal mutable fix there. 
We talked about the associated majors, the moon and the emperor. And the associated minors, the ten of cups, the two of wands, and the three of wands, satiety, dominion, and virtue. We talked about um, her outward-facing nature, uh, her frankness, openness, and in some cases, promiscuity. And her inward-facing nature inward facing. of, of mm-hmm. looking uh, within uh, at the transformative processes. Mm-hmm. The reflective nature of lunar to solar in a way. And as water of fire, how emotions modify will. Uh, we talked about her as a war queen and as a matriarch. A Shakti figure in the sexual instinct. Uh, we talked about Snuffles the cat <laughs> and the leopard and the cougar and the lion. <laughs> we talked about uh, her surrender to ecstasy and opiates uh, with the poppy and the Bacchic Thyrsus wand. Her rulership and dominion. Her taking the initiative as she often does. We talked about her as the second letter of the divine name. And we talked about her sort of paradoxical um, masculine qualities, and including the the completely obvious one that we didn't even bother to mention, the fact that she's carrying a giant phallic symbol. <laughs> we haven't said phallic symbol in a really long time. <laughs> it's true. We've been good. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the idea that to rule one must serve, uh, the idea of following good influences and capitalizing on your own plan. Being on a quest. Being on a quest. Right. Very good. So we hope that you've enjoyed getting to know the Queen of Wands a little bit better. And uh, we hope that you will join us next time to meet the Prince or Knight of Wands. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse but there are also a number of other places you can find me and mel on the internet all of mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com so that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the rosetta tarot or the tabula mundi tarot she's also just started selling signed and matted prints of the tabula mundi cards there so now you can fill all your sacred spaces with beautiful tarot art as for me my forthcoming book tarot correspondences ancient secrets for everyday readers is available for pre-order online at amazon book depository and more just search for tarot correspondences t susan chang something like that i also have a shop on etsy where i sell the one and only trademarked arcana case in lavish silks brocades and esoteric prints i also have my zodiac perfumes there so you can pick up a bottle of the mystic sea for your favorite pisces or the cool yet electric aquarius perfume which i call streams of stars all of that is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And if you'd like a Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. They are at our Red Bubble shop, redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. And for those of you who have been our listeners for a while, thank you. You are the reason we do this. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you do something for us in return? Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's especially easy if you have an iPad or iPhone. Just search for Fortune's Wheelhouse in the podcast app, 
And when you see us, tap on our groovy purple album art with the Wheel of Fortune on it. It'll take you right to a page where you'll see a reviews tab. And there you can drop us some stars or leave us a sentence or two, whatever you feel inspired to do. And if you just want to talk tarot, well, you can find me, Susie, on practically every Facebook tarot group there is under the name T. Susan Chang. Thanks for listening. We always love hearing from all you heroes of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.